today we look at the book of Song of Solomon. Now many Christians wonder why this book is even in the Bible. There's no mention of God at all. The only other book in the Bible that does not mention God is Esther. Now many Christians also wonder, what is this book about? There's nothing obviously spiritual in their mind about this book. It's about, when you read it, it's obviously about human sexuality. It describes the five senses of our body. All the five senses. The touch, the sight, the hearing, the smell, the taste. All the five senses. And you know, it really, you begin to wonder, what is this book about? And yet, the book begins with the title, The Song of Songs of Solomon. The word Song of Songs is the Hebrew way of saying it's the greatest song of all. Just like King of Kings, Lord of Lords. In the Hebrew, they don't have an adjective before the noun. They don't have like, this is the greatest song. They don't say that. They just say song of songs. They don't say he's the greatest king. You just say King of Kings. Right? So this is the song of songs, the greatest song ever written. Why? It's a love song. You see, a love song is the greatest song ever written. It sounds weird to me. My Christianity is so intellectual. What are you talking about? I go to Bible study. I go to Sunday school. I diligently study. What is this love song doing in the midst of all this beautiful book that we are learning about. Now the Hebrews considered this song is very sacred. Today if you go to most synagogues, most synagogues, this song of songs is read on the Sabbath of the Passover. Wow, that's a big day. It is read because the Hebrews saw this song as an analogy, a type of God's intimate love with Israel and of Israel's response to that intimate love. Okay, so I hope you understand that we are not treading on a fringe book. It's right in the middle of the Bible, one of the Love is the heart of all things, right? When, what is the greatest commandment? Love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, mind, and strength. Now, for the Hebrews, spiritual and physical are one and the same. God made the physical, God made the spiritual. Okay? But our mind has been so influenced by Greek philosophy. 
not biblical philosophy, not theology, but Greek thinking that puts the spiritual or intellectual above the physical. The Greeks love philosophy. The philosophers were looked up to. So today in our so-called Christianity, it's actually Greek, I could call it Greekology, right? Because we're so believe that the scholar is above the laborer. That's our thinking. Studying is better than working. If you go to a church, the one you look up to is the scholar who can debate and debate at every Bible study, not the one who goes out and serves the poor, takes care of the widows. Wow, that's just mundane work. That's Christianity of today, where it's so Greek. That's why even when I tell people, please listen to the Bible, it's like, ah, you're so anti-scholarly, reading, meditating, dissecting, analyzing. This is what Christianity is all about. No. As far as God is concerned, he made the physical world as much as he made the intellectual or spiritual world. They are one and the same to God. Okay, so I hope we get this very clear that this book is a precious book in the Bible. Though it speaks of physical love, right? And you say, why? Because it physical love is invented by God. Let me put it bluntly, sex is invented by God in the Garden of Eden. It was not invented by Satan as many of us as Christians, Bible-believing Christians actually believe uh, sex is like something, you know, you just have to have it because, you know, it's kind of natural but not a very good thing to have. You need to produce babies, you know, I mean, after all, we are married, you know, and so oftentimes sex is looked upon as something like uh, one of those things you tolerate, not exalt. That's why there's so much terrible immorality in the world, even among Christians. Let me repeat that. This wrong idea that a man and his Christian man and his Christian wife, when they have sex, it's like, it's better be a bit careful. There's not a very good thing to do, but either I need it, you need it, but you know, that's just, okay? And so they never have fulfillment. They never have a celebration of love in sex, which is what it should be. Between two people in love, this is a celebration given by God of course, in the sanctity and sacredness of marriage, to enjoy this thing. But they don't enjoy it in marriage. So what do these Christian men finally end up doing? They are tempted to find it outside of marriage, where the other partner doesn't worry about this not being very good. Are you, I hope you follow me in this. A Satan's tactic, he's a great deceiver, he's brilliant. He knows how to make Christians 
fall. And he doesn't do it by just tempting, he does it by perverting this beautiful idea of sex beautifully invented by God in the beautiful Garden of Eden and make it look like something dirty. So until we get this straight, right? Even this book looks dirty to us, okay? So I hope that this book will help at least in this one area. Now, who wrote this song? Solomon, Song of Songs of Solomon, okay? He was a very musical guy. He was a very emotional guy. And he, he wrote this as a love song. Now, and a typical love song has a lot of things that doesn't make sense to people not in love. Honestly, if you're not in love with God and you read this, it's like, what is all this funny description? Eyes like doves, teeth like sheep. You know, when you listen to a love song, even a secular love song, you know, like one of the favorite love songs that we Singaporeans like to sing is like, the moon represents my love. You know, it's like, what? For a guy who's never got in fallen in love, a moon, that little yellow ball up there represents your love. What's up with you, man? Okay? But when you're in love, it makes lots of sense. Not logical sense, emotional sense. So when you read this book, read it as a love song. Not to be dissected. The moon represents my love. You could think about it for a week and never figure it out intellectually. You could not even with a brilliant mind figure out, but you could feel with a simple heart understand that. Okay, so basically it's a love song. And as I said, the Hebrews saw this song as a simple, wonderful analogy at Passover they sing it, right? That when Christ, when God did this Passover for Israel, he loved us intimately. God loved Israel. You see, an analogy is something, it's a fact that you can easily understand that explains another fact. Let me give you an example. To say love God is very hard. Respect God is very hard. I mean, it's like he's far away. Where is he? But if you say you should respect God like you respect your father, your daddy, then a kid can understand. Of course, I can understand that. I'm supposed to respect my daddy. He protects me. He feeds me. He guides me. Of course, I should respect him. Then that little child begins to understand. Ah, I should respect God, the same way I respect my dad, because he loves me, he protects me, he provides for me. So that's an analogy, something simple that we can understand to help us understand something harder to understand. So when the Hebrews sang this song of love between a husband and a wife, the Hebrews don't have this problem about intellectual like like us Greek uh, brain perverted by the Greek mind, they saw this, wow, the way God loves me is the way I love my wife. And the way God wants me to love him is the way my, I want my wife to love me. He understands it so simply, right? So that's the analogy 
of this song. Okay, though when Solomon wrote it, he wrote it as, as a plain old love song. But the Hebrews took it and made it a precious song for them to sing at the Sabbath of the Passover. Now, what's this story about? It's about two people, not three. Sometimes it seems like there are three people there. It seems like there's a king and there's a shepherd-like guy and there's a lady, a Shulamite lady. Now, actually, the king and the shepherd are one, right? Just as David was a shepherd, Moses was a shepherd, right? Solomon, it was said that Solomon loved to go out into the fields. He loved to study things. He would go out into his estates, country estates, to escape from the busyness of the palace in Jerusalem. He'll go to a country estate and be a simple guy looking at the plants and the sheep. And that's how he studied agriculture and how he studied about animals and about nature. That's why he was like a, a real expert on these things. So it was the stories about him going to his country estate. And when he's in the country estate, because he doesn't wear his robes and his crown and everything, he just looks like a shepherd. And in his country estate, or by the side of it, was a simple farm girl, described as dark, black. She's a farm girl, an outdoor girl. And you know what? They meet and they fall in love. Solomon and this farm girl. But this farm girl, this simple girl, has no idea who he is and he never sees it. He just leaves it at that. And so they meet and they meet as he they goes to his estate, they meet, they fall in love. And one day he promises to marry her. But he said, I have to go to the city and settle things first. So he leaves and then she waits for him. And he probably got stuck in kingly affairs and didn't come back for months. And so the, a lot of the love stories about her waiting, her dreaming, she went to Jerusalem to look for him in the streets. You can read it or listen to it. About her dreaming one night that he was knocking at the door. By the time she got up, he was gone. You know, that's what people experience when they, they want something and they don't get it yet. They fear losing it. So there was all this emotional, oh, I want to be with him, but where is he? Is he coming back? That seeking and desiring him, right? And finally, one day he returns in a chariot, he brings her to Jerusalem, he marries her, and the whole poetry is about the banquet they had and all that, you know, love, love songs between each other. That's what it is. It's a collection of love poems that if you read it intellectually you go mad okay you, you'll go crazy and that's why most intellectuals struggle with this book you read all the commentators not all most of the commentators you go nuts reading it okay they're trying to analyze and make an allegory and you know it's like old oh, uh, the, the the pomegranate speaks of blood or you know it's like wow oh, are you talking about it's just love man right so what is the conclusion of this whole book what's the purpose of this whole book it's an analogy as i said the hebrew saw it clearly god's intimate love to israel and god's expecting israel to love him back intimately it's an analogy of 
Christ's love to the church. You know, when I conduct a wedding, I often use, almost always use Ephesians 5, and the last two verses, 31 to 32, which says, For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. Right? So it sounds like, wow, this is like about two people coming together and be one flesh. Uh, that's very sexual. And then it goes on in Ephesians 5.32. It says, this is a great mystery. It's an analogy. But I speak of Christ, concerning Christ and the church. So marriage is an analogy. Intimate love of husband and wife is an analogy. This is stated in Ephesians 5.32. It's not me imagining this song is an analogy, right? This love song between Solomon and his bride and the couple I'm marrying, the man and his bride, is an analogy of Christ and the church. Of course, for Solomon, it was Christ, God. Israel, not the church, not Jesus and the church. He had no idea who Jesus was, you know, but in the church, but he knew God and Israel. So it's an analogy. That's number one, right? So what does God want us at the end of this song? What's the conclusion of this song? God wants us to fall in love with him. Personally, intimately fall in love with him. Now this sounds very bizarre to 90% of Christians. You know, when even when they sing a hymn, a, a hymn, when we sing to God, is a love song, basically. That's a love song. But for many Christians, a hymn must have strong doctrine. They will sing the song looking at the words rather than a love song. That's why singing in church is a very, sometimes a very boring and painful experience. There's almost no emotion in the singing. People get freaked out when you're emotional in your singing. Imagine like singing a love song with no emotion, just focus on the lyrics and the words. But that's Christianity today. That's why the so-called worship needs to be hyped up because people are feeling... Now let's get over this. I want to hear the sermon. Please bring me the sermon. Most churches, the singing part, half the church is not there. Two-thirds of the church is not there. By the time the sermon comes, everybody is there. Because let's get to the real business, Pastor. Let's hear the word of God rightly divided on the pulpit to sing a love song to God. Waste time, all right? So this is Christianity today. And this book is critical. Because what does God say? What does he want from us? When Peter had failed God, denied his Christ three times, what did Jesus ask him? Are you going to stop denying me after this? Are you going to get your doctrines right? Are you going to be faithful? What does Jesus said to Peter? Lovest thou me? Do you love me? Three times he asked him. What's the greatest commandment? Love God with all your heart, first and foremost. Foremost, all right? But that's not Christianity. It's 
doctrine, its diligence, in its duty. Even reading the Bible has become like that. And that's why I did this series. I feel so sad. When people look at the Bible, you know, with intellectual eyes, the heart is left on the shelf. Right? And you know, the heart is only used for work. They love their work. They fall in love with things in the world, their, their hobbies, their work, their travel. They, they will talk and gushing out how wonderful their work is, how wonderful their travel, how wonderful the food when they talk about God. Okay, let's do our Bible study now. That's why this book is so critical. That's why it's after the book of Ecclesiastes. You wonder why it's put there. Some people, oh, because they're all poetry books. Come on. Ecclesiastes talks about a man who fell in love with the things under the sun, not the things above the sun. He feels that, wow, we can love this project and love this possession and love this power. What should we love? Not the things under the sun. The one who made the sun. Okay? So I hope this helps us to understand this core purpose of this book. Of course, secondly, it teaches us that marriage, in marriage, sex is invented by God. Enjoy it in the sanctity and sacredness of marriage. And as long as it is in marriage, it is a celebration of God's goodness to us. You take it out of marriage, you pervert what is beautiful. Right? And that's what the devil wants you to not enjoy in marriage and enjoy it outside. So, what do we learn about God in this whole book? And I always say the focus must be about God. It's not about how I respond, my marriage, you know, how I sing a song. Those are important. But what do we learn about God as a focus? God is emotional. God cares in, to us in a very personal way. God feels. God expresses his love. God's not a cold, logical person sitting on a throne and just giving commandments and decrees to us. He feels. He expresses. That's why he put this song of songs in the center of his book because it is about the heart of man is the center of our relationship with God. Express our love about God. Don't be ashamed to tell the world. It's not just personal, but when love is personal and it's so intense, you can't help but keep it to yourself. You share it out. When a man's in love, you can see his face. You can see his thought. You can see everything and you can look at him and say, you're in love. I've done it a lot of times in church. Buddy, you're in love. There's something. And you'll say, Pastor, how do you know? You can see something about the eyes, the smile, the excitement, you know. Do you see that, the people going to church? I'm afraid I don't. I don't. Going to care group? No, I don't. Do they go there to love God? Love one another? No, I don't see that. You can call it a care group. You can call it whatever you care to call it. But it is a Bible study. And when you open your Bible, do you see a God of love? No. You see a whole bunch of laws, doctrines, and duties. Nothing wrong with that. But if it doesn't have love, you are 
nothing. If you do all of it out of duty, you are nothing without love. May God bless this book to you. May you enjoy the poetry. Just see it as a love song. The moon represents my heart. That's it. Enjoy the song. Listen to it. You don't take lyrics of a love song and analyze too much. Listen to the song. Enjoy. God bless you. This book will hopefully make you love God with all your heart and express it at church every time you sing. Express it to others every time you talk about God. How much you love God. God bless you.